Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less. This is a podcast about the NBA with a focus on the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I'm joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, I'm going to ask you how you're doing and I really hope the answer is better than the Phoenix Suns are doing. I'm doing a little better, Max. Uh, my, my feelings are always tied to how the Suns are doing, so I, I definitely could be better. But I have a birthday tomorrow, and uh, we're back on the pod after a little bit of a break, which is always fun for me. So I'm doing okay. Oh, happy birthday. You didn't even tell me that it was your birthday. <laughs> not yet, not yet. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, the big 31. We are both wow. getting very old, Max. We are. I'm not 31 till March. I actually didn't know that I was technically slightly younger than you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear that. Yeah, you can take that. Okay, so on this episode, we are going to talk about the Phoenix Suns, who are going through a bit of a tough stretch here with the the horrible losses and the Booker injury, but still some some nice things we're seeing, so there's going to be some positive in there too. After that, we're going to do Did You Know? Then we're going to get into kind of around the association thing. We're a general NBA podcast too, everyone should remember. So we're going to talk a little bit about the surprise teams, good and bad, some of the MVP early favorites, maybe some of the rookies who've impressed us or let us down, although there really haven't been a lot of them who've, who've let us down. It's been a, a pretty great top 10, which I'm excited to talk about and, and rattle a few facts off there, Max. Yeah, me too. But before that, let's do just a little bit of news. There's not a ton of news to get to, but we should probably talk about you know, kind of what's happened lately in Booker's injury. David, do you want to kind of recap for the listeners what's what's gone on lately? Yeah, so we got brought back down to earth a little bit since our Dallas podcast and, and win for the opener there, Max. So uh, a loss at Denver, 91 to 119, a loss to the Warriors, 103 to 123, and a loss to the Lakers, 113, 131, Max. So uh, three losses on the trot, which as the time of uh, recording this pod sits us at one and three, which is good for 14th in the West and last in our division, Max. If you would have told me before the season started that the Suns would have a better record than OKC after four games, I would have been pretty happy with that. <laughs> yeah, we maybe expected OKC to have a few more wins, but uh, more. we're at least not last at the West just yet, Max. Not yet. <laughs> important, important caveat. But uh, it kind of goes right into what I wanted to talk about, which is Booker. Uh, Booker obviously got injured in the LA game. Uh, he pulled his hamstring. Yep. I think it's a it's a hamstring strain, right? That's what they're calling it. They're they're officially calling it a strain and and day to day for for Booker. Although they have listed him as out for the Memphis game, uh, which will probably be happening around when people listen to this pod match. And I think that makes sense because I think almost regardless, they're not going to play him in a back to back, even if they think he's ready. Like this, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So it makes sense to declare him out for that game now anyway. And if he's possible to play in either game, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean him and Eagle both said this morning that you know they'll see how he feels. But yeah, I think. 
particularly with the back-to-back, they're, they're kind of slating him for maybe that second game, even if he's feeling good for the first one. But Anderson with a hip and Aiton with that ankle that seems to keep popping up on these injury reports are the other ones questionable for the next game as well, Max. Yeah, what do you make of that? I, I know he rolled his ankle, uh, I think it was like a, a practice after the first game, before the Denver game he was questionable, but did he did he roll it again? I didn't, I didn't see that. No, I definitely haven't seen anything on a court in a in a real life game. I think, you know, the NBA is always very transparent with these injuries and, and news of injuries because of, you know, fantasy and, and now gambling as well. So uh, I think they're just being pretty transparent with that. I'd be very surprised if he didn't play, though. Yep, I agree. I think he's going to play, and uh, I hope he does because we might get into this, but I, I, I want to see that Jaron Jackson Jr. DeAndre Ayton matchup. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into the Suns topics. I think we're going to, like, trade back and forth on some topics that, you know, are just at the top of our minds because, you know, we're watching every single minute of all these games, and, and we have thoughts and opinions. And uh, the, the first thing I want to get into, David, is is actually one Devin Booker, the, the man who's injured right now. I want to talk about a few things with him, some good, some bad. I'm going to start with probably uh, the best thing about him so far, which has just been... David, he's been an offensive superstar so far this season. There's really no other way to put it. The, the numbers he's putting up right now on the efficiency he's putting up put him in like a top five offensive guard category. With the caveat, the turnovers have got to come down. But... He's shooting about 51% from the field, 39% from three, all great. The free throw's a little low, but, you know, whatever, small sample size. 28 a game, seven assists, just incredible production. And then if you look at the efficiency, you know, the the true shooting percentage is at 65%, which is just incredible for a player like him. 65%, if he's on that for the season, that's like an MVP kind of efficiency, true shooting meetup. So the assist percentage is way up. Everything's way up. The turnover is the only thing keeping kind of the production overall down. But David, what do you think? It really looks like he's taking another leap. It really has. And I think, you know, not to gloat, but I Mm -hmm. think we all kind of saw it coming, Max. Anyone who watched him closely last year and the little help that he had, I think we saw, you know, with Igor coming in and and what he was going to do for him with a big fella in the middle like Aiton kind of drawing crowds on rolls and things like that. And then, you know, the pieces that they've added around him, which, mind you, aren't doing all that great themselves, but they're obviously providing Booker with the space that he needs. And he, on his own, is also looked to have taken a, a pretty massive leap here, Max. I think some of those stats that you rattle off are, are pretty impressive. The turnovers, I'm, I'm actually not worried about. I think most of them that we've seen in patches where he's picked up multiple turnovers in a short space of time is when he's been thrust into the kind of primary ball handler role with teams trapping him and things and he's just made some bad decisions so I'm not too worried about that as you say they've gone up uh, just as well as every other positive stat of his has gone up at the same time so you know the efficiency is the big one here Max and I think you and I have noted kind of privately talking together it's largely down to the fact that he's shooting basically from behind the three-point line Mm -hmm. and at the rim and he's shooting just astronomical numbers at the rim he's pretty much the same as last year Uh, from the three-point line, you know, pretty small sample size, but, you know, 38, 39%. But he's jumped up to almost 71% at the rim max, which I think is almost up 10 percentage points on how he was finishing last year. And uh, I think the league average there is more like 62, 63. So that's that's pretty damn impressive. Yeah, it's it's incredibly impressive. I think that the numbers bear out what you're saying in terms of just his aggression. His three-point attempt rate's way up. His free throw rate's way up. Uh, which is excellent because he's attacking the rim, finishing like you said. Uh, and even with the turnovers, you look at like the advanced stats, the box score metrics. He's he's way up in that. If you're that high uh, when you're basically leading the league in turnovers, 
that's incredible. And like you said, I'm not I'm not concerned about the turnovers so much because they came against the, the big turnover games came against uh, Golden State, excellent you know perimeter defensive team. Clay was Clay was hounding them, and then Denver, which. Denver has been the most aggressive defense in the league this year. The way they're the way they're playing uh, on the perimeter, and I think they kind of I'm sure they kind of took Booker's by surprise the way they were playing him. So I'm, I'm just really not concerned about that. It'll come down, and uh, I hope and expect the 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 rest of it to stay up. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about something not not as fun, David. Unless you have a little more uh, glowing to do about Booker. Well, I think I'll I think I know what you're getting at here. I would kind of say that he's kind of at phase three at the moment. Just mm-hmm. to touch back on what we were talking about is. You know, every year with Booker, people uh, who haven't watched him closely have kind of knocked things, you know, that he was just an inefficient scorer. He kind of proved that wrong, Shoot, showed he could do a hell of a lot of other stuff on the court. Then he was just a volume guy on a bad team, you know, and he picked up his percentages even last year. And now he's kind of gone up to another level this year. And probably the last thing for him and what analysts are going to start sticking to now that he's kind of proven everything else wrong is I'm guessing what you're going to bring up next, Max. Well, the defense is it's really, really bad, David. It's horrible. And listen, it's a, it's a real problem. It is. And it's it's a, it's a blemish. He gets attacked by oppo- opposing coaches are now, now at the Suns. So I, I don't know about, about you, David, but I, I've always thought the coaches didn't really scout the Suns, didn't care. Mm-hmm. It seems like this year they're a little more interested in it, and they're very much attacking Booker on defense consistently. And he has not been up to the challenge. Uh, probably the most glaring example was was the third quarter of the of the Dallas game where they just literally went at him like <laughs> five positions in a row and, and fouled him into the bench. But uh, it's been happening every game. I and mean, they're going after him. He's getting into foul trouble. It's it's a problem, David. Yeah, and we even saw it in that Dallas game. Uh, Eagle managed to kind of get him out of there and then put him back in just at the right point in time. And mm-hmm. you know, Dallas had their own foul trouble to deal with with Dontich and a few other guys as well. So um, we got away that time, it, and then you know he's been attacked a, f- a few other games after that, and it hasn't worked out so well. But yeah, I think it's it's a great point. Teams will always go at great offensive players even if they're kind of average defenders to try and take them out of the offensive game mm-hmm. take them out of the game altogether or, or just wear them down a little bit and uh, Booker's well below average at the moment and therefore is is going to be attacked probably even more than your average player and yeah I think it's a good point by you uh, and I think it probably blends into a few other things that we'll see pop up in this conversation around you know the point guard position and just the overall defense of the team as well Max which has you know frankly been atrocious yeah it's been really bad and compounding that a little bit too I think this is maybe uh, an undersold point is that Booker is fouling a lot, not just because he's bad at defense, but I don't think he's adjusting well to whatever this new NBA rule is that's causing scoring to go nuts, part, in part because the refs are calling everything now. They're calling every little hook that you do, even on offense. Booker's getting these offensive fouls where, like, it's these little hooks he's doing, and he just can't be doing that. He's got to adjust his game where he's not getting these little chicken shit fouls. Yeah, he needs to be careful on offense in particular because you only get six fouls to, to waste mm-hmm. and... Uh, as someone as bad as him who's who's bound to pick up two or three on defense just you know with laziness and and guys getting past him and him fouling from behind uh he he can't be wasting any on on charge calls or or yeah lazy hooks or anything like that max no he cannot uh next thing <sighs> david this is sort of like a more of a meta point on the whole team but since booker's the best player it falls on him i'm worried about this team's leadership for the past 3 years this team like 
even when it has, has like a good game where it's being competitive for a while, like one bad stretch will kill their spirit just immediately. They all look like you know, like the like the dog pooped on their, their lawns. They're just sad. Like <laughs> it's just they they have no resolve like whatsoever. They just they give up so quickly. And the only reason I can think for why that's happening so consistently is that they don't have someone on the floor, a fiery leader who's keeping them engaged and, and you know keeping slapping the ass, be like, hey, dude. You know, we're still in this game. Get, get, get back in the game. Get your head in it. Because, David, I don't know. What do you think? Do you, how many teams in the league do you see that are like this, that just completely give up? Yeah, and it, it's been a constant theme for this team, uh, even, you know, with coaching changes and things like that, which make you worry a mm-hmm. little more because, yeah, then, then it becomes about the players and, and the kind of core star players if, if it's a recurring theme even, you know, with a new coach like Igor. I think this is exactly why a guy like Patrick Beverly kept, getting brought up by us and many others, mm-hmm. Max, because uh, it was his off-court and on-court stuff that we saw he would be a great match with the Suns uh, and not just uh, what he was going to bring as a backcourt partner to Booker skills-wise. But, you know, I've got in my notes, Ariza and Anderson need to step up from this standpoint. Yep. Anderson's not a great defender. He didn't come to the team as a great defender. But in terms of keeping the guys focused and, you know, trying to lead from the front, we can't expect it from Tyson anymore. Frankly, I'm not sure if it was ever there throughout his tenure. Booker's really the only one bright spot that people kind of lend to with Tyson's leadership. And to be perfectly honest, Booker may have already got to this point in his career without Tyson around. I don't think we can really put much of that on Tyson with the... (laughs) No, I don't think I'm doing so. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Jamal Crawford was kind of brought in to help the guards as a, you know, a steadying influence as an old guy as well. But, you know, from an on-court product, he's already showed some pretty poor signs of, of leadership. So whilst he's, you know, teammate of the year, another great locker room, guy uh, I think as you said we need to see it on the court from some of these guys and at the moment the ones that are, are being paid to do so aren't delivering Max yeah you use the word steadying influence which I do think the Suns are bringing guys like that in that that's not what they need they don't need a steady influence they need a fucking leader and they don't have one and I think Igor's a great coach I, I do even despite we'll get into it I think he was not great the other night but I think he's a great coach but even you, the biggest Igor defender in the world, would admit that he's he's a kind of a meek, mild-mannered guy. He's not a loud, leader, yeller guy. He's just not that. That's not his personality. The, the Suns don't have anybody like that. They don't have Draymond Green. You know, they don't have Jimmy Butler. They need somebody who's just going to be like, frankly, kind of an asshole. I don't. I don't know if you noticed this. I, I think uh, several people tweeted about this, uh, including me. But on one possession on offense uh, in the third quarter of the Lakers game, I think it was, Aiton made some mistake. I, I don't know what exactly what it was, but it, it pissed Booker off, and Booker actually, as, as he almost never does, just started yelling at a teammate, yeah. yelling at Aiton. Yeah. And Aiton, I, listen, this is anecdotal. This could be a coincidence, but Aiton had his best stretch of the season. Not the season, maybe of the season, but definitely of the game right after that. He was awesome. Listen, one instance, but I just I want to see so much more of that. And... Devin Booker could do that on offense. He can be the fiery, yelling leader on offense. He can't be that on defense because, frankly, if, if Booker's yelling at me on defense, I'll just roll my eyes at him because he's the worst defender on the team. But they need someone, somewhere, to just be that guy who's yelling at him, keeping in line. He needs to command respect. It can't be someone who sucks. And I don't know if that guy's on the roster. I, I don't, it's, I, frankly, I don't know how they're going to find him. Yeah, I, I don't think that guy is on the roster at the moment, Max. 
just touching back on Igor, I did like some of his quotes after the last loss around accountability and and if things are getting away on the court, then that's kind of on the coaches. So, you know, Igor's not going to shy away from that. I think he is one to to take on that responsibility. As you said, he's not a Tibbs going to, you know, yell at the guys from the bench sort of coach, but I think he sees what we're seeing and, and is putting it on the coaches to make sure that, you know, that's something that improves. But the easiest way for me to define it is, you know, around that steadying influence, Mark, and, and the point that you're making kind of on the court. So I think Ariza, Anderson, you know, even Jamal Crawford, I think they're all guys that are going to provide value after the losses that we've had and make sure that the guys are back up for mm-hmm. the next game and, you know, forgetting the things in the past and focusing moving forward. But I think, as you said, in the moment when things are going wrong and somebody leading from the front, we're definitely lacking that guy on the court at the moment. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure that there's a guy on the roster that's, you know, not playing or something at the moment that is going to be able to provide that. So that's probably going to have to come from the outside. And whether it comes with a point guard trade or, or another move down the track, it's definitely something to watch, Max. Yeah, and I I totally agree with that. I think that's exactly on point. I, I hate to use war analogies because it's sports and it's kind of silly and almost like wrong to use war analogies, but... You know, when you got your guys in the bunker and they're shell shot because they're they're gotten shot at and they're you know they're getting offensive on them, you need someone just to get, just rattle everyone back into their cages. And they just don't have someone like that right now. They just they have no resolve. They totally fall out of it when when things go rough. And I agree with you. It's not on the roster now. I mean, it's almost like another reason to trade for Jimmy Butler because you know what Jimmy Butler would do? He would do exactly what we're talking about. It's it's tough. I think it's going to be a, a problem with this team all season because there's not a lot of obvious solutions. And it's depressing me, so maybe we should just move on. I don't want to depress you some more, Max, but it probably <laughs> flows nicely into my kind of big first question, and, and that is, what is the defensive identity of this team? So we have noticed a couple of stretches, and it, it comes off the back of your point that you've just made, where we've kind of lost the last three games in you know, five-minute stretches on the court. For the rest of the game, we've we've kind of been competitive, and you can you know look into that as the game's already being you know, run and won, and therefore the opposition isn't exactly playing to their best either. But particularly the last Lakers game, we did the video on on our Twitter account uh, around energy and and kind of losing that game in a a six-minute stretch in the the second quarter. So the thing that I'm looking out for, Max, is we saw a lot of clips and talk and stuff from preseason around a team that was going to be switching a lot, and we just haven't seen that quite a lot from the team on the court, and I'm not sure if that's the coaches thinking that they're not quite ready or, you know, personnel-wise, particularly in the starting five, it's probably not there to do that. But I have noticed in in very small stints, Max, when we have been playing a switchy D, it's probably been our best defensive spurts, as I said, in in very short parts of the game. Have you kind of noticed that in in some of our losses? Yeah, I have. It it has come at times, but man, it's it's overwhelmed by the the, the lapses. And the, the thing that's bothering me the most, like I know they're not good on defense. Obviously, they don't have the personnel for it. Aiton doesn't know what he's doing on that end yet. You know, he shows flashes, but generally doesn't know what he's doing on that end. But the thing is, like, they're not even trying, especially transition defense. It's just like, how are you not getting back on transition defense? It's like an Earl Watson team. And I can't imagine that Igor's not telling them to get back on transition defense. Of course he is. Like, I have enough faith in Igor to think that. But, like, I don't know why they're not doing it. It's 
shocking to me, frankly. I, I, I almost am lo- at a loss for words on it. I don't understand what's going on, David. Yeah, I think, you know, on the Igor point, not to keep giving him a pass here, but there's only so many things you can focus on as a coach. And, you know, energy and getting back on defense really shouldn't be something that he needs to ram home with the players or, or feel like he should need to. But, you know, kind of touching off your last point, I've got some facts from the three losses for you here, Max. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. Against the Nuggets, 62 points in the paint, 33 fast break points. Jesus. Against the Warriors, 48 points in the paint, 34 fast break points. (sighs) Against the Lakers, 68 points in the paint and 27 fast break points, Max. That's all while teams from three have actually shot at or below the average of around 35% against us. So we're doing a decent job. I think we're kind of 10th in the league or something like that, around three-point percentage from our opposition. But, you know, if you want to look at the defense, it's really all about us just letting teams walk up and down the court and walk right through us. And, you know, my main note for that, Max, which we've kind of touched on already a little bit, is there's basically one good defender in the starting lineup, and that's Ariza and he's probably had one good game so far for us. So when that's your starting unit, uh, and you've got a rookie anchoring that, and you know your star player, as we've already touched on, is kind of notoriously bad on defense, effort can only get you so far, and they're, and they're not even giving the effort at the moment, Max. I mean, totally. I, I, I fully agree with you that the, the starting lineup is it's just not going to play defense. And, and the problem is when you when you have that lineup, like they have a hard time getting to a lineup that can play defense. Yep. There's not a lot of lineups they have that, that can do it, but particularly when you start that way, you're setting yourself up for, for you know a rotation system that's not going to have defensive lineups in it. Um, also, when you're playing Jamal Crawford for like, you know, 20 minutes a fucking game, you're not going <laughs> to play very good defense because he's... Like the worst because you're you know you're gonna play Booker for thirty five so you're, that's just gonna be awful. Uh, you're not playing Melton so I, I don't want to get into that yet because that's another point I want to get into. But generally, yes, I agree. I mean, the defense is atrocious. I don't see how it's going to get better with this personnel. They're gonna have to fire Ryan Anderson into the sun. Maybe that would help. But <laughs> short of that, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm it's hard for me to even like make us like a coherent point on the defense because it's just all so bad that like you can just criticize all of it. Yeah, but you know, I guess my one point that I that I wanted to make is as bad as it has looked, it really kind of boils down to the points in the paint and fast break stuff. We're, we're doing some okay things in other places on defense, and if they can just improve the effort a little bit and tighten things up, a, you know, a little more, and and with how well the offense is going, with you know, particularly Booker and Aiton on the court, they may actually see themselves in some more games and and avoid some of these blowouts, Max, because as far as one stat goes, they're all boiling down to that at the moment. Okay, let's move on to sort of a related point, and I'm not going to go on an extended rant here just because we've kind of already been ranting. Igor's rotations have come under fire by many on Twitter, including me. Uh, You're Igor's number one defender, number one fan. I'm going to give you the floor before before I go after it. Defend his rotations, David. First thing I'll say is something's definitely off, Max. I'm just not at panic mode four games into the season, just like I'm not with a lot of these things that we're bringing up. I think it's right to bring a lot of these negatives up, but uh, you know, something that I'm probably going to harp on a lot on this pod early on and a lot on, on Twitter and in conversations with Suns fans is I think this team's just behind. I think the preseason was interrupted with a new coach. Uh, NBA teams don't really get a lot of time with their players before the season starts anyway. The Booker injury didn't help. 
the new Booker injury is probably not going to help, and the point guard situation certainly doesn't help. But I personally thought Igor would ride with energy a little bit more. He seems to have stuck to a more traditional uh, rotation and, and kind of the minutes that he's locked into pre-game, which is... I think been a little bit frustrating to see, particularly when you know games aren't going the way that uh, you know we expect them to. It would be nice to see Igor change things up a little bit. The one thing, I mean, Anderson's one that's been criticised obviously quite a lot. Uh, the only note that I have there is they did get him to reduce his contract, and and we just don't know what has been kind of promised or spoken about there. Uh, I'd like to see them try and play him a little bit more as a uh, backup five max. Because if, you know, the defense isn't great, particularly, you know, when in the second unit and, and the options behind Aiton, which is another thing that we can probably get into, uh, are looking pretty bad as well now. Maybe another way to get guys like Mikel Bridges and stuff on the court and play a little bit more switchy stuff is is to play Anderson at the five if you have to play him. Because other than maybe Igor just trying to play him into form, he, he definitely hasn't deserved his minutes. But what's the things that are really bothering you with the rotation, Max? What will we ever do without Tyson Chandler, though? <laughs> What's bothering me the most, and I, I get that he's this, he's trying to stabilize the team. This team has been constantly shifting out its starting lineup and lineups, whatever, all for the past three years. And I think part of this idea here is we just want to get some stability. I get it. That makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is how we're at the end of the second quarter and Anderson and Crawford have played significantly more than T.J. Warren. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. T.J. Warren's had an amazing start to the season. On this team, he qualifies as a veteran. What the hell? Why is he not playing more? Why is he at six minutes with like three minutes left in the second quarter? Why isn't he playing significantly? Doesn't make sense to me. I, the Mikel thing, I guess it makes sense. Igor said he doesn't want to like throw him to the wolves or whatever. Yep. Um, we're not asking you to start him, Igor. Just fucking play him. He didn't play in the first half. Why? It doesn't make sense to me. Why is Jamal Crawford playing double-digit minutes when he can't play defense and sucks at everything, honestly, sucks at everything. He made, like, one crazy shot at the end of the first quarter, but he's bad. Mikel Bridges is, like, the one guy who's shown some spark on both ends on your team. He's the future, as Igor said, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to me to hold him back when he's better already. It makes sense to me to hold him back if he's not better already, but, David, he's better already. And the other thing I'll get into before I, I end this rant and let you go, the second quarter, even aside from, like, who's playing, the rotation's just... It didn't make sense the whole way through. There, there were lineups without shooting. There were lineups without playmaking. And there were lineups that just it couldn't defend at all. And there were lineups that mixed all of them together. And it's just like you need to like have identities with your lineups. You can't just throw lineups out there that, that don't make any sense at all on any end of the court. And I, and I felt like that's what was happening in the second quarter. And I think that's why the game got out of hand. Because it was just by the time they finally got to that Booker, uh, Josh Jackson, Ariza, Aiton, and I can't remember the fourth guy lineup, but it was it was like kind of like one of their better lineups. It was like out of reach already. Yeah, I think all good points by you, Max. That, uh, and not to repeat myself, but all I would say is that we're at game four, uh, and we also need to remember that Eagle is a rookie coach. Totally. Uh, I don't want to give him a pass all the time, and I, I certainly won't be giving him a pass in, in 20 games' time if, if things like these are still happening and Bridges is continually showing in very limited minutes that he deserves to be out there, but they're, they're still not playing him. So I'm just not overreacting at this point. I, I definitely get the frustration. I myself have been frustrated in games, watching games, but there's a lot going on. There's probably a lot going on that we aren't aware of, and that's why it's also hard to judge uh, I think Josh Jackson's play has kind of been the most frustrating thing and made it very hard to to kind of set these rotations. 
TJ Warren may be playing better than everyone expected, and therefore the time that he should be deserving on the court uh, isn't what they kind of initially had slotted in for him. So wait, hold on. Let me interrupt in there. What do you think about Igor playing Anderson and Crawford significantly more than TJ in the first half of the Lakers game? Like, is there any defense of that, or do you think that's just a rookie mistake? I think it was just a rookie mistake, uh, and I'm sure he would admit to that if you kind of ran back the film with him and, and what's going on there. I think we've seen with TJ, they're playing him mostly as a backup four, essentially. That's why we're not seeing guys like Dragon Bender. And I think, you know, Jamal Crawford, I think the signing was clearly for playmaking in the second unit, whether you agree with that or not. Uh, I definitely don't agree with him playing, you know, significant minutes next to guys like Booker, because then it's even worse defense than what we're seeing in the starting unit. And sometimes your second unit should be kind of the antithesis of, of what you've got going on in, in your starting unit. So yeah, I don't love major minutes for Jamal Crawford, even though I haven't been too critical of, of anything that he's done yet other than highlighting that you know he's not bringing energy just like everyone else isn't at the moment but I think it's it's definitely something worth watching and, and something that we should continue to probably touch on on the pod and, and hopefully something that continues to improve Max and Igor can start to work out this rotation but probably a nice segue into what we're going to do about point guard here Max because I think a lot of it again not to give Igor a pass stems from that I think he's trying to work on the fly with how he wants to play and he doesn't have great playmaking options in in either unit and and that's kind of forcing him out of rotations that he probably typically like to play because I think with Aiton a point guard and Booker it's a lot easier then to plug in shooters on the wings as, as he would like and and maybe some more defensive guys as well and we, we might may see more of guys like Mikael Bridges yeah obviously the, the point guard play is a it's a huge thing uh you know Cannon's not been been like awful he's just he's not providing what they need there they need someone who's good for this team this team more than most teams needs a good point guard and cannon is providing i don't know what would you say like below average backup point guard level play maybe yeah and and he's something you know my notes on cannon he's not a true point guard he's even been categorized as a shooting guard earlier in his career so just by size virtue he's kind of classed as a point guard particularly on this team but he's giving us no defense max next to our worst defensive player in in devon booker Mm -hmm. in the backcourt he's 38 percent from the field 30 percent from three and he is currently fourth in assists in our starting lineup. So my <laughs> my kind of question there is, Mac, is, is like I'm not really sure what he's bringing to the team. I, I get that there's not great playmaking options elsewhere, and that's obviously what Igor wants. But if that kind of continues and he's not bringing a certain trait to the, the starting lineup, I, th- I think something has to give, Max. I guess he's not like just outright pooping his pants on the court. He's not just throwing the ball to their team. <laughs> I guess that's what he's giving us. He's not. You're right. You're right. He's not doing anything. He's a steadying influence out there, maybe, and and I guess the guy that Igor feels he can count on the most to run the offense. And... We might have to. We might have to title this podcast episode "Steadying Influence." <laughs> yeah, but I think you know it's just maybe he's got the the best knowledge of the playbook, and that's what Igor's running with at the moment. But you know, with Booker's injury, he's going to miss maybe a couple of games probably going to mean that Jackson if we follow the preseason form line is going to be back in and I'm really hoping we see Jackson's uh, chemistry with Aiton come to the fore again like we saw in the preseason maybe play some uh, you know really stingy defense and you know I'd like to see Jackson force his way into the starting lineup if there's not a move coming 
for a point guard. You know, if we have to wait to December 15 when more guys can be traded or, you know, we're, we're just getting offered absolute overpays at the moment and they just can't make a move, I think that's the move that might need to be made, Max. David, you just stole all my thunder. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> if I were the coach of the Phoenix Suns, when Booker's ready to go, I'm putting him back in the lineup and I'm keeping Josh Axe there. Because I think that it's the best thing going forward, not only for the team, but definitely for Josh Jackson. I think they've looked their best. Correct me if I'm wrong, David, if you disagree. But they've looked their best, I think, with Booker and Josh Jackson as as the guards. Do you think that's right? Yeah, I think that's correct. And I think, you know, we've touched on it a lot. Jackson looks his best when he's with... Absolutely. You know, better, better talent on the floor. Yeah, he gets those open shots. And he's not forced to do too much. Because when he's forced to do too much, he's he's awful. Yep. He's, he turns the ball over constantly. Uh, he, he tries these stupid drives that don't make any sense. But when he's with Booker, and especially if he started the game, so I think and I think it'd be even better if he started the game because if he starts and say it's Booker, Josh, Ariza, I you know we'll put Anderson there for now. Although I'd like that change to be made as well, and then Aiton at the center. Like Josh is not going to be you know with a thirty percent usage in that lineup. He's just not. He's going to be you know the the third or fourth option. And I think that's exactly what he needs to be right now. He needs to learn what he can and can't do. He needs to be in a smaller role where he doesn't have the green light to do everything. He needs to just play off Booker and Aiton. He needs Booker and Aiton to do their, their pick-and-roll thing or whatever they're going to do, and he sits in the corner. Because one of the underrated things about Josh Jackson so far, David, his three-point shot when he's like open and passed to actually looks pretty good. I think it's better. He just doesn't get to it enough. Yeah, as far as like a, he's clearly you know practiced as a set shot which is what he should be getting in a lineup like that, not having to come mm-hmm. off the dribble so much, not having to rush, just shoot when you're open. And I think on the small sample size we've seen so far, he, he's doing a pretty good job of that. It's just all the other stuff that's not looking so good. But, you know, the the flow-on effect of a move like that, whether it is replacing Kanan in the in the starting lineup with a, a point guard that we bring in via a trade or, you know, more of a short-term option, someone like Josh Jackson, I think it just helps the team exponentially you know Kanan as we've said is probably great as a backup point guard on this team he'd be a good guy in that second unit to get everybody the shots that they need and and kind of run the offense and not let things get out of hand when our bench unit is in there I think it helps Booker with what we've discussed with him whether it's you know defensively Mm -hmm. or or just another playmaking guy on the court Uh, it helps Aiton we haven't really seen much pick and roll with Aiton with him finishing at the basket uh, we've seen a lot of Aiton diving to the rim and guys missing him and the, and the pass kind of going out to the wings for a three-point shot so you know guys aren't catching him as much as they probably should have and, and Jackson certainly did find him in the preseason so it, it helps that and you know I just think that a change at the point guard position could actually help a lot of these other things that we're talking about. I think it helps rotations because I think it makes things simpler for Igor trying to find guys' minutes. And I think it probably helps the defense because, as you said, if whether it's Anderson sliding up to the five or Aiton at the five and then, you know, TJ comes in for Anderson, maybe Mikel comes in for Ariza, then all of a sudden you've got Jackson, Booker, Bridges, Warren all on the court, and you can play more of a switchy defense. Which David, has... I want to see that lineup so badly. Yeah, and and you know, I think honestly, Max, I think it all stems not again to to give Igor a pass here because he's the one that has to make this change himself anyway. 
but I think it really stems from this point guard situation and this playmaking situation, particularly in the second unit, and that's why he's struggling to find minutes for guys like Bridges uh, because he's just trying to deal with too many problems at once, Max. Two points I want to make building off of that because I agree with everything you just said. Uh, that was all well stated. I just want to add to it, and that's one you brought up Jackson and Aiton in the preseason, which is one of the one of the top you know bright flashes that we saw. Imagine those two getting to do their thing when they also have Devin Booker on the court, who's going to draw so much attention from the defense. Like, I know Josh Jackson's kind of bad sometimes, but you have to pay attention to him because he's a, kind of a freak athlete for his size, a sort of freak ball handling ability. Mm-hmm. So even when he's like, like missing a lot, driving to the rim, you have to account for him. When you get to a certain amount of you have to account for this guy on the court, like it becomes hard to defend a team. It's hard to defend Booker, Aiton, and Jackson on the court. It just is. They're just they're freaks, kind of. You know what I mean? So I think that would just kind of overwhelm things. And and the other point I wanted to make is that if if you take Jackson off the second unit and put him in the starting lineup, you're you're kind of just giving the second unit to TJ, which I think he has totally earned. I think it's time for TJ to have like his own second unit that he he's sort of like the star of. I think it's perfect for him at this point. I think it's exactly where he should be, and it just it just makes all the sense in the world to me, David. Yeah, I agree, and I think you know a- another note that I've got with getting Warren and Jackson both time is that maybe eventually one of those guys are traded, and that's why Bridges is sitting on the pine at the moment. Igor did mm. say that Bridges is the future. If you are looking to make a move for a, a decent point guard and are going to have to give a decent player back, maybe that's why we're still seeing quite a bit of both TJ and Josh in the second unit together. And I think Igor's really struggled to plug bridges in with those two guys uh, at the same time so yeah I think Jackson being in the starting lineup then giving the second unit to TJ all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier to find bridges minutes on the wing as well Max god that would be hilarious that they finally traded TJ when he was actually good <laughs> I that's most of what I got David unless you got something else I just want to do one more thing one more kind of stupid thing but if, if you have something else to do it first I just want to end on a nice note here we've, we've kind of gone on a bit of a rant uh, with a lot of negatives and and rightly so I I think we're not going to be kind of always pumping the guys up, particularly in a week where we've, you know, had three blowout losses. But we touched on Booker at the start, most of which was positive and and how much he and Igor have kind of maximized his potential with the way that he's going. And I just wanted to say, you know, what Igor is doing with Aiton through four games is is pretty ridiculous. And what Aiton is doing himself also is shooting 62% from the field, 10.8 rebounds max, and something I don't think either of us saw coming. He's got 3.8 assists a game and the team's really running through him in the high post. Uh, and they get doing a lot of cross-screening down low, which is something I noted with Igor's system, and, and getting Aiton buckets right at the rim where he doesn't need to back down in the post or anything like that. He just turns and, and finishes on guys. And one dunk in the Lakers game I really enjoyed was where he was actually quite aggressive. It was probably the first time we'd seen him you know, more try and tear the rim down rather than just put the ball softly through the, the net as we've discussed on his touch before. So that was good to see. And uh, I, I just hope we see some more pick and roll as we just touched on before with maybe a point guard change, Max. Yeah, I totally agree. I like the way Igor is using Aiton. Um, I think that there's been a lot of attention paid to some of his defensive recognition problems, which are obviously there, but we knew were there. They were there in college. We expected it. I think people... Like, listen, you're not making a, a great point anymore if you're just like, hammering that every single day, Nate Duncan. We get it. His offense, it's, it's been cool. It's been good. I, I like to see him be a little more physical. I always make that criticism. But overall, I mean, you can't argue the production. He's been incredibly productive, and that matters. 
I, I like what I've seen at Aiden so far. And it's funny, this actually dovetails nicely into my stupid thing I was going to bring up, David. I, I know what Igor's doing. I get the building up slowly. I, I get all of it. I, I just really want to see him shoot three-pointers, David. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. There was a couple of moments in the last game, I think, where you know maybe he even, you could kind of see it in his mind. He almost wanted to take it because the ball just ended up with him late in the shot clock and he kind of looked at the rim and then you know made sure he found his guard on a curl or something like that. But uh, yeah, I think you can see that he's being suppressed from doing that, Max. Mm-hmm. And at some point, they're going to have him do that, obviously, because that's what's going to make him, you know, part of his offensive crazy value is he's going to shoot three as well. I feel pretty confident about that with his touch. But I also understand bringing him in slowly on that. They're trying to teach him how to be a, a big a big right now. But, man, I can't wait till Aiden's hit those trailing threes. Uh, on fast breaks and stuff, that's going to be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, and it, it is a feature of the way Eagle likes to play. He likes both his four and his five, if they can, to, to trail the play. You know, one guy running the rim, coming back up to the high post, and, and whoever the other guy is, whether it's the four or the five, kind of trailing the play as a, a spacing threat. So I think we may see that. It just might not be in his rookie year, unfortunately. Yeah, it's okay. I get it. Bring him along, Sully. It's fine. But David, let's let's move on. We're running a little long here. Let's go to Did You Know. Sounds good, Max. For Did You Know this week, I'm going to go with the Suns' most recent signing and a guy who I suspect is going to come up maybe negatively a little bit on our podcast. Of course, I'm talking about Jamal Crawford. Or should I say, did you know his real first name is in fact Aaron Max? I did not. I did not know that. Whilst I'm willing to admit there is a a far greater chance I'm on your side of the fence with Jamal by the end of the season, I'm going to choose to be positive about our new combo guard for now. So Max, did you know Phoenix is Crawford's eighth NBA team since being drafted in 2000? And by his count, Igor is his 19th NBA coach in that time. I know you've uh, seen a bit of time on his basketball reference page recently, Max, so I won't make you name his coaches, but can you name any and all of the teams that he has been on? Jesus. I mean, no, but I'll try. So he's on New York for a long time. There's one. Uh, He's on the Clippers. He's on the Wolves. There's three. He's on the Bulls, was he? That was his first team. That's four. Oh, God. Jamal Crawford. He's been on a lot of freaking teams. Let's just jump into it. That's not bad. You got 50%. I'll take it. We're always going for 50% field goal on this pod. So uh, he was drafted by Cleveland, actually, in 2000 as a 6'5 guard from Michigan with the eighth overall pick. But they don't count as a team because he was automatically traded to Chicago, as you mentioned. He also played on the Knicks after that before going to the Golden State Warriors in 2009, Max. He only played 54 games there. Probably the only team that you maybe should have gotten after that is then the Atlanta Hawks, where he won his first sixth man award. He then went to Portland for a short stint in 2012, and then the Clippers, as you mentioned, with two more sixth man awards before the Wolves last year. So that's 18 seasons, Max, and Jamal has been pretty damn durable too he's 38 by my count he's played 1262 of a possible four 
1,860 games. That's 86% or an average of 70 games over 18 seasons max. So we get it by now. Crawford is old. (laughs) But looking at his ties to the Suns, we can show just how old he is. As we know, Coach Eagle was hired by the Suns this offseason with 18 years experience in the NBA. He started with the Clippers in 2000, the same year that Jamal Crawford entered the league max. Crawford debuted on the 31st of October 2000. Devin Booker just turned four years old then, and five other Suns players on the team were even younger. Crawford and Chandler became teammates on the Bulls when Chandler was drafted in Jamal's second NBA season. Crawford had completed five seasons and was now on the Knicks when Trevor Ariza became a rookie in New York. And then there's playoffs, Max. Before joining the Clippers, Crawford only played 23 playoff games in 12 NBA seasons Hmm. and didn't make the playoffs until his 10th NBA season. That's a drought that actually beats the Suns' own current playoff drought, Max. Pretty impressive. Or depressing. Or depressing. For a guy with 1,262 career games, as I said, but knowing he had a pretty poor playoff record until recently, Max, how many games would you guess he's played in the playoffs overall? Oh, man. I don't know. Like 40? He's played 74, and they were all over the age of 29. The Suns have 11 players under the age of 29 currently on the roster and they combined for 23 seasons experience compared to Jamal Crawford's 18. That's 11 players with 23 seasons compared to Jamal on his own with 18. Anyway, Max, you'd think this might be Jamal's last season in the NBA and more than likely won't include the playoffs, unfortunately for us. So that'll be eight playoff seasons out of 19 total. You'd also think it's even more unlikely that Jamal makes the All-Star Game, Max, which is sad for two reasons. Firstly, he recently proclaimed there was an extension to his signature crossover that he was saving for an All-Star Game, and therefore we'll never get to see that live. And number two, Jamal needs just 296 points this season with the Suns, or somebody else, and he will become the guy with the most career NBA points to not make an All-Star Game. And of course, in true Did You Know fashion, Max, he will replace another ex-son and another ex-Did You Know member, Eddie Johnson, with that record. So that's that, Max, and I'm excited to jump into some Around the Association stuff and talk about some teams who aren't the Phoenix Suns. I was impressed almost that entire time until you mentioned the possibility that he could break that record with somebody else. (laughs) Yeah, so let's jump into the league-wide NBA talk. Uh, I think my first note here, David, I want to talk about is just kind of how fun the MVP race is shaping up. Listen, it's it's four games in, but Steph Curry has decided to, to try this season, which is really fun. Nikola Jokic is a world beater. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I picked, is, you know, the Bucks are insane. He's awesome. Anthony Davis, the Pelicans are insane. He's awesome. David, I think we're going to have a really, really fun MVP race this year. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a couple of surprises that have come out. Uh, my pick in LeBron James is not looking great four games into the season, but, you know, maybe things will pick up there. I think your pick in Giannis is looking very, very good. And it's always good to have a couple of surprises in there. You know, I think everyone expected Jokic to have a good year, but he has just come out flaming hot. And Steph Curry is kind of reminding everyone uh, who Steph Curry is. <laughs> I love it. I'm so happy he's doing it. One of the things that was the, the biggest bummer about uh, about Kevin Durant going there is it kind of, you know, it kind of neutered Steph Curry. 
at least the MVP levels have occurred that we're used to, and it seems like he's like kind of getting back to that now, which it's just so fun. He's one of our most fun players. Yeah, it's obviously, you know, they've still won titles, but it's taken them all a while to kind of adjust to each other, and Steph's just reminding everyone the player he is, and ironically, it, it might be on the eve of Durant leaving the Warriors maybe next season, Max, and, and we'll get a couple more, hopefully, prime seasons out of Steph Curry just yet. But who else has surprised you, Max? I've got a couple of teams here, but I'd like to hear from, from you. What's what's your good and your bad here so far in the East and the West? So I think the most surprising teams have been, to me, in, in the West, it's been the Nuggets. I, I thought they were going to be really good, but I've been kind of shocked by how good they've been defensively. Yep. Uh, and also how good they've been with, really, with, I mean, Gary Harris has sort of looked kind of take, taking a leapish, but Jamal Murray, who I picked as the um, most improved player in the league, he's been fine, but he hasn't been, like, ridiculous. And I think if you asked me like, if the Nuggets were like, really awesome to start, I would have said, oh, it's probably because Jamal Murray broke out. Yeah, and I think it's a it's a good point. Millsap's not even playing that well. So mm-hmm. you know, maybe that strengthens Jokic's uh, MVP candidacy even more because you know the other note that I have on Denver is there's not a lot of depth there either, Max. That's kind of my biggest no. worry for them going forward. So uh, yeah, they've started red hot, as have the Pelicans in the West, I think, and Toronto, probably one of my picks that is looking the best so far, is mm-hmm. pretty red hot as well. Yeah, Toronto looks awesome. Kawhi has, it looks like he hasn't missed a beat, and I think that, uh, I can't remember which one, but it was either uh, Brendan Clean or, or Evan Sidery on uh, Lockdown when I was when I was guessing picked Kawhi as MVP, yep. and I, I shouldn't have left him out because he's definitely, uh, he's on that list. Another team I'll mention, and I guess another MVP candidate, although I think they'll calm down, is uh, the Detroit Pistons. And Blake Griffin, yep. they've been awesome. They've, they've been lighting the league on fire. They've had a really easy schedule. But Blake, I mean, he had that 50-point game or whatever it was against the Sixers. And, yeah, he looks awesome. It's pretty hard to trust them and Blake, you know, health-wise as well. So that's definitely a watch-this-space one. Uh, both Curry and Blake are on my top fantasy team at the moment. So I'm definitely rooting for, wow, for both yeah, of them to, fantasy team. <laughs> to keep going the way that they've been going. But you, know. weren't you Weren't you upset about paying too much for Steph? <laughs> I was. It's looking a little better. And if you combine him and the $8 that I paid for Blake, it, it, it's looking pretty good as a, as a dual purchase, Max. Yeah, not bad. Uh, but the Bucks, the Bucks ball movement is, is exactly what we expected it. Giannis is exactly what we expected it. And, and they've, you know currently scorching the wolves as we record this and uh, on an unbeaten run so far I believe Max yeah you asked for surprises which is why I didn't bring them up because uh, to toot my own horn here I thought they were going to be extremely good yeah I'm sure we'll get to OKC soon enough so my horn will be untooted <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah I mean they're awesome but bud changed them that kind of like a lot of people thought that was it was going to happen I mean they, they had horrible coaching and now they have great coaching and Giannis is a freak it, it doesn't really surprise me the Pelicans thing also, I kind of thought they were going to be good. I guess I would say Alfred Payton surprised me a bit. He's been better than expected. I guess, you know, I think it's kind of a it's it's a reminder to everybody that you can't judge players always when they're on horrible, awful teams. Sometimes you, you know, it's just hard to play with players who suck when you're playing against great players. So some players need to be with better players, and I think Alfred Payton's one of them. And fit as well, Max. Fit is obviously yeah. a massive thing in the NBA, and people kind of were skeptical about whether he'd just be able to uh, slide into that Rondo role uh, and do the same thing for the Pelicans, but so far so good there. And you know the Pelicans are blowing teams out. Mm-hmm. I think they're in a tough one today, but you know they kind of got a plus fifteen point 
differential, uh, which is way higher than anyone else in the West, and I think tops the league overall as well. So yeah, they're about to lose to the Nets at home, and the Nets will go three and two with this win in New Orleans. That's a pretty big surprise. That is a surprise. I, I love the Nets. I, you know, they just play hard. You know, going back to the Phoenix discussion around effort and things, I think uh, you know that's a, a classic case of a team that just gets the most out of them and. Uh, one thing I'll touch on with the Nets, I didn't plan to bring it up, but I've been tracking Aiton as far as contesting shots and box outs and things, you know, the, the things that the NBA classes as the hustle stats that they've been tracking for just a couple of seasons now. And Jarrett Allen is contesting the most shots in the NBA at the moment, Max. That is it's something that would have surprised me before the season for sure. It doesn't surprise me after what I've seen so far. He's been freaking awesome, dude. And can I toot my own horn on Levert and my most improved yes, you pick can. there? He's 21 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, and a steal, Max. So uh, he is right on track for at least being in the conversation if he keeps this up. Yeah, I think he's their best player right now. Uh, tonight he's not having a great game, but, you know, whatever. Russell is. So maybe Russell's their best player. But I think Karis LeVert's been their best player so far, and that that's definitely – you should do your own over that. That's, that's <laughs> I don't think I'll sweet. get too many right, but uh, that one might save me. What, what about some bad, Max? Speaking of not getting things right, uh, David, the OKC Thunder are 0-4. You know, I'm actually not ready to say that I'm wrong about this at all. I, I think that, of course, the first two games were without Westbrook. They lost a tough one at home last night where they controlled the game against Boston and just sort of gave it up at the end. They lost a really a really bad loss to the Kings. With It was Westbrook's first game back. I don't know. It's 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 four games. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure the the Dallas team in 07 that went, I think it was 67-15, and 15, Dirk's MVP year, they started off like 0-4. So it happens sometimes. I still believe in OKC, but it has not been a good start, David. Well, there, there's a bit of history to, to look back on and, and maybe – you know, a bit of hope for OKC. I'm definitely not going to ram you too hard on this one because I think it could come back to bite me. You know, they're, they're a very talented team. Uh, and guess who they get to play next, Max? I'm guessing because it's on Sunday, it's the Phoenix Suns. That's correct. So we, we get another That's team. That's a good medicine. Some good medicine for them. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my biggest thing with them is they're still starting Ferguson at the two uh, and they're playing major minutes with Diallo as well, who's probably fared a little bit better than Ferguson. But just depth-wise and, and kind of overall talent-wise, there's some signs there that they might not be as good as what we expected. But yeah, I'm definitely not ruling them out just yet. The Roberson injury was uh, tough on them. It almost feels like they need to make a trade because, yeah, obviously it's it's untenable to start Terrence Ferguson. That dude's terrible, so they got to figure something out. Uh, David, how do you feel about some of the underperforming East teams? Uh, Philadelphia hasn't been kind of what people thought they might be. They've been a little bit sketchy. I'd say Boston also, although they got a, a nice win last night. Their offense has been terrible until, until I, I mean, I don't know if this is still the case, but they had the worst offense in the league for a while. Do you, are you worried about these teams, or do you think it's just early season stuff? I'm not worried about Boston. They are far and away the best defensive team in the league at the moment, which is always going to help when you're struggling on offense. And, mm -hmm. you know, we noted on our preview pods that, you know, they had quite a bit to work out there with slotting Irving and, and Haywood back into that lineup. So uh, Brad Stevens will work that out. And at the moment, they're just kind of resting on their defense, which I think is fine. Philly, I don't know what's going on there. The, the stuff that they're stuffing around with Markel Fultz is just silly as far as I'm concerned. 
Uh, JJ Redick was a, a great fit and a great starter for them last year, and they should have stayed with that, in my opinion. Don't say anything like that on Twitter, man. I, you think Suns fans are defensive about our team? Oh my God, say anything about Markel Fultz, and you'll just get fucking attacked. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to stay off with that take, and uh, I'm sure not too many Philly fans listen to this pod, so I should be safe, Max. But uh, the Cavs look as awful as we kind of expected, so you know maybe they'll start a fire sale soon around December 15, and really tank for that protected pick to make sure they keep it. Uh, probably my biggest worry at the moment is is my prediction around the, the Wizards. They just look gross. Howard, I don't think, has played yet for them. And yeah, things do not look good in DC, Max. I uh, I saw someone suggest that there might be a Pistons trading for John Wall thing coming, and I totally see that happening. <laughs> that just makes so much sense. That definitely seems like something that, I could, that it could definitely happen in the East. Uh, the last team I'll touch on that's underperforming, not a surprise to me. I said they probably would. Although, to be fair, I didn't predict Chris Paul getting suspended, but... The Rockets are out of the gate pretty slow. They're currently losing to the Clippers by 25 points. Wow. They're in trouble, man. Yeah, they're they're not very good right now. I don't, Harden's not playing tonight, I don't think. But still, man, there's a reason why they're trying to trade four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler. <laughs> exactly. They're not very good. Exactly. And I think there's a reason that that's been leaked as well to see if Minnesota can get. I think it was reported that the heat kind of resurfaced again on the back of that rumor. So particularly with how the Wolves have gone today as well. We we may be on the eve of finally seeing a Jimmy Butler trade. And as far as a landing spot, I kind of want to see him go to Houston, to be honest, Max. Miami will just be kind of a bit, you know, meh. And uh, Houston swinging for the fences and him, you know, winding up in the West on that team would at least be more interesting from a narrative standpoint, I think. Yep, I'm with you on that. Want to see it? I think uh, a Houston playoff series with Golden State, if Jimmy Butler's involved, would be really, really fun. Yes, and I'm, I'm all in on that. Let's uh, let's move on, though, to the rookies real quick. We're, we're running long, so let's move to the rookies. I, I, I mean, as we said earlier, they've all been pretty good, David. What are, what are your major takeaways? I've got something here for you, Max, and we'll start with it and maybe flow on from there really quickly. So mm-hmm. if we just look at the top 10, five of the top 10 are currently starting for okay. their teams. That's DeAndre Ayton, Luka Doncic. JJJ, which was kind of forced by an injury, but we, you know, may would have happened eventually anyway. Trey Young with the Hawks and Carter Jr. with the Bulls is starting at center with a very bad defensive. Talking about the Suns' bad defensive starting five, he has to put up with some pretty horrible uh, <laughs> yeah. defenders around him in Chicago. But I got a question for you here, Max. How many may we see starting by the end of the year? So I'll run through the other five. And think of their situations and let me know whether you think they might be starters also, which would mean by the end of the year, the entire top 10 is starting on their team. So we've got Marvin Bagley first with Sacramento. Yes, I think he will be starting by the end of the year. And he, real quickly, I've been so impressed by him. He might be the guy who's impressed me the most compared to where I thought he was after Summer League. He looks fluid. He looks explosive. That second jump's ridiculous. He even one-on-one contested Jokic at the rim and blocked him on a play. I just think he looks great, David. As far as all-around highlights go, he looks really good. That second jump is just, you know, we noted it when we were talking about the draft. Sure. It's just ridiculous. It's clearly his best trait. So if he can be a high-energy guy at the four or the five 
Um, you know, they've obviously got some rotation issues at the moment, but I definitely agree with you that he'd probably find but, himself. But yeah, my cop for him before the draft was like a hyper, super duper, crazy athletic uh, Anderson Barajal. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what he's doing so far. Yep, and I think you're right. He'll be in the starting lineup by the end of the year. How about Mo Bumba? That's an interesting one because uh, Nikola Vucevic has been really, really good to start the season, but I could also see them trading him. So I think that if they trade him, he'll do it. Do I think they will trade him or not? Or, you know, also they could just start tanking if they're bad towards the end. So, yeah, you know what? I'll go ahead and say Bamba, I think he'll be in the lineup. He's been pretty good. Defensively, he's been awesome. Offensively, he's been bad. But defensively, he's been really, really good. Yeah, I think we could see them in a position where it makes sense to start him. And this next guy, to me, makes exactly the same sense as well. And that's Colin Sexton in Cleveland, Max. That team just sucks so much that they're going to tank. Uh, they're probably going to trade, you know, whatever, whatever guys they can trade that teams might want to contend with. Like maybe a George Hill or, or Kevin Love, even. But uh, yeah, I, I think that just kind of out of a tanking necessity, that's that's going to be something that happens. Yep. Unfortunately, this guy got injured very early on. Kevin Knox with the Knicks. Uh, again, it's just a bad team, so probably. And our guy, number 10, and probably someone we might want to see in the starting unit by the end of the year, Mikael Bridges, Max. Yep, I think so. Uh, the Suns are not going to be good this year in case you haven't realized that yet. Uh, I don't think they're going to outright tank kind of the way they have in the past. They're going to try all year. Particularly given the new lottery odds, like there's just not a lot of reason just to try to be the worst team you possibly can be. But I do think they're going to give it over to the young guys. I mean, particularly because Mikel Bridges has looked like one of the best five players in the team. Like, why wouldn't you start him towards the end yeah, of the year? Yeah, exactly. And I'm not sure of the history books on this one, but that's something I'm going to be tracking, Max, because uh, if the whole top 10 are starting by the end of the year, I think that just speaks to you know, what we're touching on here, the, the strength of the 2018 draft class. Yeah, it's an incredible class. It really is. I, some have exceeded expectations for me. Like, I think Trey Young has been better than I thought right away with his finishing ability that he never really showed before, and he's showing it in the NBA, which is pretty incredible. Yep. I'd say a lot of guys are just kind of what I expected. I expected Aiton to be this hyperproductive guy who's lost on defense. I expected Luka to, you know, be the guy who shows incredible feel. But at the same time, it's horrible, kind of horrible on defense because he gets exploited. But, you know, these guys are kind of what I expected them to be. But what I expected them to be was great. Interesting one on Luca. He's playing the highest minutes out of the draft at the moment at 34 per game. And what we touched on pre-draft with him kind of wearing out and, and looking worse as the Euro season has gone on. And, you know, we've touched on already early in the Dallas uh, last episode uh, that his conditioning doesn't look great, Max. That's, that's going to be something to see. Uh, you know, how he wears down over the the 82-game season. But, yeah, I agree with you on Trey Young, 39% from three and, you know, already 7.5 assists a game. Uh, there was that great pass. I'm not sure if you saw the one to Torian Prince in the corner where they were on the break and, and Prince wasn't even looking and, and Young threw it at him. He caught it just in time, hit the three, and then Young gave him the kind of, you know, always watch me in transition look, which was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Trey Young's going to be so freaking good, dude. I can't believe how good he is already. That 35-point, 11-assist game he had against Cleveland uh, over the weekend, uh, he's just ridiculous, man. hes I don't know if he's ever going to be a Steph Curry, because no one really is, but I think he could be like Dame Lillard's level of offensive you know, stardom. He's really good, man. Yep. He, he's translated just as well as, you know, you could have hoped, I think, after making that trade and, and hoping he was going to work out. But moving past the top 10 really quickly here, Max, maybe a chance for us both to, to toot our own horns again here. I'm going to call this the SGA and, and Shamit section. So uh, we'll start with SGA because he was taken higher. He's been 
pretty impressive playing 25 minutes a game for the Clippers, Max. Yeah, Shea Gilders-Alexander is good, and those reports about how McD wanted him, I uh, wasn't able to get him. Those those sting a bit right now. I, lo- I love Mikel, but it does sting considering how much we need a point guard. Yeah, definitely agree, and... Uh, yeah, who knows with those rumors, but you know maybe they weren't prepared to put a rookie next to Devin Booker, and, and you know with how much Booker wants to move forward. But uh, looking bad right here, right now, if that was something that was on the cards. But talk to me about your boy Landry. Come uh, on. So listen, I, I, it'd be easier for me to gloat if he were playing better. <laughs> he's been pretty mediocre when he's in the game, but the fact that he's the what, I think he was the twenty sixth overall pick, and he's starting games this early in his career. Uh, out of necessity, but still. And he's playing significant minutes even when he's not starting. Like, listen, there's a reason why I like the guy so much. The guy can... He's an incredible shooter. He's cra- a crazy good shooter. And his size, he's not a small guy, allows him to play defense. And I think that's maybe been the most encouraging thing about him. When I talk to smart uh, 76ers fans on Twitter, that, that's what they're most encouraged about, is the fact that he looks like he can like not get destroyed on defense which is really the kind of what people are worried about because of how slight he is. Uh, if he can keep playing, like, okay defense and he shoots, I, he'll have minutes in the NBA. He'll be a player for a long time. And, you know, for a 26 overall pick, that's great. I, I had him as 10th, so he's going to have to be pretty damn good to live up to 10th. But uh, it's a nice start. Yeah, I think it's a good point by you, particularly with such a small sample size. Uh, even if he is struggling, it, it's more the fact that they have put him in the starting lineup out of necessity. That shows that in practice, in preseason, he, he impressed the coaches and they've got the trust in him to, to put him out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to continuing to see him grow. Another guy who started is Akoji uh, in Minnesota. He's been pretty impressive. Uh, and Dante DiVincenzo is kind of playing 20 minutes a game, shooting okay for the Bucks, And uh, another good one to see Bud is kind of trusting him in their lineup as well, Max. Yeah, he's been pretty decent. And I, I was really upset about the fact that Suns were about to pick him just because I didn't think it made sense for the Suns to take him particularly, like yep. that team. It makes a lot more sense than the Bucks. They could use a guy like him, some shooting, some some scoring off the bench. It makes more sense for them. I just thought he was too duplicative of our guys. Um, but yeah, good pick for them. I just I do want to point out real quick. I just checked my phone and the Pelicans have come back and it looks like they're going to beat the Nets now. So I don't want people to yell at me on Twitter. I, I did see that. <laughs> uh, they stay undefeated, which uh, suits the conversation a little bit more. Talking about them being a, a red hot starter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Drew, Drew Holiday just hit a uh, uh, 17 foot. Looks like game winner. There's two seconds left. Nets ball. So. We'll see. Uh, it's already happened by the time you're listening, so it's not interesting. David, <laughs> anything else for the rookies? I just wanted to touch on three second rounders sure. very quickly. Guys that are getting early minutes. Uh, I'm not going to talk about their games at all, but the fact that Brunson in Dallas, uh, Diallo, as we mentioned before with the Thunder, and my guy Sfee, uh with the Lakers are all playing pretty significant minutes early on, uh, which is pretty cool to see with your second round guys so, so, so early in their rookie seasons. Uh, that those guys always stand out to me that they've you know found themselves a role generally with those second rounders it's because they do you know one thing very very well max and uh, you just got to get on the court and improve the rest i have two responses to that one of them is that uh shvi 
your guy is like everyone's guy now. Everyone loves that guy. I think the GM poll was like raving about him, about how he's like the most underrated rookie or something. Do I get to do the hipster thing of saying, you know, I liked him before everyone else did? Yes, yeah, sure, of course you do. That's the whole point of having a podcast, David. <laughs> and the other thing I'll say is that I really hope that the next name on that list of second rounders who are making an impact is either Elliot Koba or DeAnthony Melton, because I, I, that would really help our team. <laughs> that, that's a great way to end talking about the draft, and uh, we've seen them... Uh, mostly inactive at the moment and, and switching between places on uh, active and, and inactive and uh, both of them have played you know pretty much junk time other than uh, Akobo played I, I suppose you know a solid seven minutes early in the game versus Dallas but interesting one to watch I'm still hopeful of both of them probably Melton more than Akobo as a you know starter going forward but yeah hopefully we get to see him on the court soon Max well you know David the Thunder are really bad at defense as we discussed and Anthony Melton was one of the best defensive guard prospects we've seen in years so maybe yeah, maybe you should play that guy I know I know I you know wasn't too hard on Igor in your rotations bit but yeah if by the end of the year or not even the end if if in 15 games time we're still complaining about a lot of these same problems and Bridges and Melton aren't finding themselves on the court, uh, particularly after impressing if in really short stints. Uh, I'll join you in ranting a little bit more, Max. Well, here's my olive branch to you, David. I trust Igor enough that I don't think that's going to happen. I'd, I'd be surprised. I would too. Uh, but let's go, uh, let's go ahead and move on to seven seconds or less. This is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other only has seven seconds or less to respond David, I think it's your turn to ask me, right? It is, and I'll start with an easy one. We have four games uh, next week. I'm calling it Max, probably before our next pod. So just give me a, an instant win-loss on these. We, we play first at Memphis. Uh, loss, no booker. At OKC. Loss, OKC really needs it. At home versus the Spurs. Mm, I'm going to give us an upset win there. Ooh, and at home versus Toronto. <laughs> That was my answer. <laughs> okay, I'm taking that as a loss, which I think puts us at two and six, which is better than one and seven if we do manage to pick up at least one win there. And <laughs> Yes, uh, that is better than one and seven, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, not too dissimilar to what we predicted early on with, with this tough schedule. And, you know, maybe it's more, hopefully next pod we're talking about uh, more competitive losses than some of the blowouts we saw last week, Max. But number two here... After four games, Booker's had performances of 35, 25, 28, and 23. As we said, Max being very efficient and very impressive. So I've got to ask, what will his season high and season low be? Oh, wow. Interesting. I think he'll have a game where he scores like 52 or 3. I think he's going to have a huge scoring game at some point. His low... Uh, it's it's tough because you're worried about games where he comes out for injury or whatever. But I I I I think he's he's at the point now where he's just such a good scorer. It's hard for me to see him scoring under twenty unless there's like a, a disaster blowout. This is over seven seconds. I'll just say something. I'll say fifteen in like some like weird game where there's some reason why. Yeah, I think you know discounting injury and maybe foul trouble. Well, we should probably count foul trouble. But you know we've seen even early on he's getting to the line quite a lot when the shot's not working for him as much so yeah I agree it's going to be hard to see him score under 20 this season with that added to his game but number three here I've asked this a thousand times before with Bender's option coming up so I am not going to ask you again because I think we probably agree by now on what the Suns are actually going to do so let's assume they're going to decline it 
and that is a tad under six mil in space for next season. So, talking about some of our issues and things here, Max, give me a, an under the radar guy uh, that the Suns might make a play for with that kind of money next off season. Uh, that would be a perfect fit for the team. I really wish you would have asked me if they were going to pick up his option or not, so I could have done another uh, laughing answer. <laughs> I'll just edit you. I'll edit your other answer in. Yeah, I don't know if this counts as a under the radar guy because he's extremely good, but I still think he's underrated by casual fans. I mean, they should do everything they can to try to get Chris Middleton. He'd be incredibly awesome on this team, in my opinion. I think he's kind of what you want next to Booker. Ed Fooker's going to be sort of the playmaking guy. I don't think they're going to... I don't think uh, Milwaukee's going to let him go because he's awesome. He's clearly their second best player. But in terms of under-the-radar guy that people aren't talking about a lot, I think that's that's probably the guy I'd mention. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one. I was kind of going you know, one of two ways with that question, whether you just spend six mil on a, a role player when the money kind of dries up next offseason. They're kind of harder to pick at this stage in time. But yeah, as far as an under-the-radar at the kind of you know, big max money goes, you know, six million's a lot of money when you're throwing. Oh yeah, my bad. I thought you were asking like the, the aggregate of having the extra six million on top. If you're asking about who we should get for like six million dollars, man, I don't even know who the fuck those free agents are yet. I like your answer better. Cool. Well, that was fun, David. Thanks. That's the end, right? There's nothing else. Is there, David? That's it. We went over pretty much everything. You can follow me at MaxMCC11 on Twitter. You can follow David at The Four Point Play on Twitter. You can follow our podcast at 7SOL pod on Twitter. Please, as always, rate, review, and subscribe, especially review. We could use some more reviews, David. Reviews are good. Yeah, it's good to see the listens and downloads trending up as basketball's come back, Max. Uh, we all kind of wanted basketball back, and uh, you know we're excited to have it back. Hopefully the Suns can deliver with the on-court product a little bit more. But uh, yeah, if you are listening and, and haven't reviewed, please do. Uh, it helps us out a lot. And uh, until next week, Max. Until next week. Thanks, David. Thanks, guys.